Today on the Topic Show, Bud Light Dust Off Boost tweets remains dusty with fake replies, Best Buy banned Christian rights as more discrimination is revealed, Target investors are suing the company for their Pride Month business blunder which crashed their stock, Elon Musk vs. Mark Zuckerberg match is developing, Bud Light crap open a beer, that actually, uh, that tweet fails as well, Budweiser appreciate farmer tweet is ratioed in minutes, Illinois Supreme Court allows the ban of AR-15 pattern rifles, Republicans vote yes for Biden's gun ban, the Mustang orders for the new model are coming in, and people want stick shifts and V8s. Amazon wants to kill some of the shipping boxes they use. Amazon is also cutting dozens of their in-house brands. Dunkin' Donuts to make spiked iced coffee and a tea. And Chrysler and Stellantis, well, they turned down the UAW offer as negotiations between the union and the automotive companies heat up. All of that and much, much more on The Topping Show. Thank you everyone for taking the time to tune in today. Today's episode of The Topping Show is sponsored by Topping Technologies. Topping Technologies is an IT value-added resource and services company with a special proficiency in IT security. Heck, I see their founder at least twice a day. Gotta say he's quite handsome and brilliant. He's me, that, that's a joke. If you're an IT leader or a business owner, need a little assistance, you can reach the team at sales at toppingtechnologies.com. Now, Going over to the business part of the podcast, you have the Mustang, the new model coming out, and the orders are coming in. And as of today, I think we'd officially say the Mustang has won the Pony War. Throughout the years, you had all the great competition between Detroit's big three, what used to be the pinnacle of automotive technology, reliability. You had good old General Motors with their Chevrolet Camaro. You also had Dodge, well Chrysler Dodge, with a good old Challenger. And then you had Ford with the Mustang. And unfortunately, subsequently, Chevrolet and their business brilliance are killing the Camaro. So this is the last year you can get with an internal combustion engine and stick shift. So buy it now if you ever want one. Next year, it's rumored it's going to be a four-door EV sedan. So Camaro is no more. And of course, famously Dodge is the Challenger. It's going to be an EV next year as well. Even though, again, they're selling, a, they're selling a record number of internal combustion engines. And the fastest car in the world right now is a Dodge Challenger 060 in 1.66 seconds. Great admiration for the engineers over there able to put that out. But they're all dying. And one pony remains standing strong. That is the Ford Mustang, which has been also the only one that has been killed. If you look at the legacy of the three ponies, General Motors, they've killed the Camaro and they brought it back a couple times throughout the years. The Mustang has stood strong. Well, they had a couple years where there was less horsepower than a lawnmower, so a little weak pony, but still stood nevertheless. Now, recently we have the new model coming out and it looks like the model, they're, they're about to ship this week, I believe. And when for the pre-orders, it looks like the most popular option, because again, Mustang does have many options in terms of the configurations of the engines. They even came out with an inline four version, which controversial, I know. Now, it looks like two thirds of the orders, which again is 66.66%. Mass scores are all time low, but we're here to help out today. So 66.666% repeating, of all the orders from the new Mustang, one of V8, also known as eight cylinders of glory. Perhaps the pinnacle of American automotive technologies. Perfection is a beautiful thing. So two thirds of all the orders were a good old five liter V8 engine, which in an era of ever evolving cars, becoming more and more like computers, soulless machines, which they are fast, but you'll never beat that feeling of a V8 with a stick, which goes on to my other point. Now it looks like 
there are about 13,000 of the US pre-orders for this for the 2024 Mustang and Ford says that um, they're equipped with a four-cylinder turbocharged engine for the other options but 66.66 for have preferred the V8 and they wanted to say that of the V8 orders they said that a quarter of people actually no a quarter of all orders according to uh, Ford spokesman Mark Levine they know it is a six-speed manual transmission now I know sometimes people say this podcast is a little pessimistic looking at the glass half full which if it's Bud Light then yeah you could probably say it's half full but it is oddly beautiful to see some people still showing their support for the pinnacle of the automotive experience having three pedals a good old stick shift and a V8 it's hard to beat that much fun and it is interesting to see in some ways Detroit can still put out some great things so hopefully People keep ordering these like gangbusters to send it a sign that says, hey Ford, we want this product, keep it alive. So it is refreshing to say the least. And a little bit of a little bit of a silver lining and good news in the automotive community, which has been quite bleak lately. Now, other interesting business news, you have Amazon wanting to kill boxes, which don't worry, they're not gonna go out and physically kill them. More of a fiscal kill. So Amazon, of course, like every company on the planet, they're trying to reduce cost. And with Amazon, once you get to a certain level of company, it's all about the aggregate cost. If you could save one to two cents per box, that's gonna save you millions of dollars a year. This is probably most famously shown in the chips company, and not the um, you know chips or computers, but potato chips and corn chips, whatever Americans eat, mostly salt and a derivative of, of a vegetable. But if you look at that, they actually do spend millions of dollars each year for research and development to try to think of a package for that food that's just a penny cheaper because they know if they can get that one package a penny cheaper that cost over the year is huge now Amazon of course every company is struggling and they're trying to think how can we save money well they're gonna start shipping more items without a box at all so interesting enough right now about 11% of all Amazon deliveries have no extra packaging now many people of course you know Amazon is saying it's also to protect the environment and eliminate excess waste and yada 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 which technically there are some upside although cardboard is one of those cardboard with the proper ink is one of the most recyclable things out there that being said half the comments when they announced this were well what about my privacy now my neighbor's saying i'm getting a 50 inch samsung tv or whatever people are wasting money on these days and that's a darn good point and some products Especially for my three cents. Again, it used to be two cents, in my opinion, but 40 year hyperinflation, I should really charge four, but I'm a, I'm a kind soul, so only three cents, in my opinion, today. Though it is free to click that subscribe button and try and get to 3,000 subscribers by the end of August. Greatly appreciate if you take that moment to do that. Now, it's one of those things where, to me, if I'm spending over, and again, I usually don't buy anything off Amazon because it's, it's mostly stuff you don't need, but it's one of those things where, over a certain price point, I would expect additional packaging to protect the product whether it be if someone's buying a computer or a TV, they have great insulation and great foam from the factory, but still, I think most people are rest assured to have some little extra packaging for impact, because who knows how many times it's gonna get thrown off a bus or a truck when it's being delivered. So it'll be interesting to see, do people push back against this idea with Amazon? Or would some people be happy because they're getting less boxes in their life? Let me know in the comments, would it be a pet peeve for you to get an Amazon package where you get it, it's the original product, but you know, it's got gouges taken out of the side because it's hitting crap and it's got scratches all over. Uh, that, to me, that would be, it seemed to be a way to 
decrease the customer experience. But we'll see if people revolt or if they don't mind. Other interesting businesses, you have Amazon cutting dozens of their house brands. Now, this is interesting because they claim it's for cost. Some people are claiming it's for cost. I don't believe that because historically, one of the best things a business can do in terms of increasing profit margins is to have their own private label or own white label. It's their own brand that they control, gives customers an incentive to go to their store because they can only get it at that store. You see this with Walmart, they have their, they call it the great value brand, which is the brand that they own and they, they either directly or indirectly manufacture the product. More often than not, it's a white label issue or a business situation where they're paying sometimes the same manufacturer for like, let's say raisins, and they're just putting in a Walmart box at a discount. And it's a win-win in terms of the person making the raisins because they get both sales, the premium one, which comes in the, you know, the one that everyone knows, the raisin brand, and then they come with the Walmart one. So they're, getting, they're capturing both parts of the market, the people who are more price sensitive, who are buying the store version, as well as the people who want the actual brand behind the raisin company. So business-wise is a brilliant idea and increased profits for the company because again, that's their brand. They don't have to pay someone else. Now, you also have companies like Target, and they have their own, I think it's called Up and Up, and same idea, it's their brand, they control it. And Amazon famously have developed their own private brands. Although, interestingly enough, there's according to an article over on the New York Times, they were saying that over the past year, the company has decided to eliminate 27 out of 30 clothing brands alone, including private labels such as Lark and Row, Good Threads, and Daily Ritual. And as those brands are phased out, only Amazon Essentials, Amazon Collection, and Amazon Wear will remain in the clothing sector. So it'll be interesting to see why, if those are more often than not more pro more profitable, then why would be why do they get rid of it? Well, there's a lot of rumors that antitrust is the real reason. And you see this with a lot of companies when they get to a certain size, they actually start to spin off divisions or close down divisions because they're just worried they're might, just the whisper of an antitrust lawsuit or an antitrust interest in the government, that gets them quite concerned because they don't want to have a situation like AT&T. Back in the day, AT&T, it was one of the largest companies on the planet. And the government, I believe it was, I forget it was the 80s, but they forced it to be, famously, they broke it up into dozens of separate companies. Now, ironically enough, fast forward, now AT&T is again one of the largest ones, but it's one of those things where the businesses don't want that to happen. So a lot of times they'll do the voluntarily thing without being told, they just start to do things like this. So that's the real speculation people are coming across when they wonder, why is Amazon getting rid of these? So it'll be interesting to see. Let me know in the comments, do you think it's because they're trying to cut costs or is it because they're trying to maybe get ahead of the game when it comes to antitrust lawsuits or antitrust where they can say, hey, well, we don't play in that area anymore. We only play in these areas. So it'll be interesting to see for their business where they go from there. But I was gonna say one thing is probably for certain, Amazon's not going away anytime soon overall. Now, other fascinating business news, you have Dunkin' Donuts coming out with spiked iced coffee and tea, which is something I don't think anyone ever asked for, but a fascinating concept in and of itself. Now, it looks like the good old Massachusetts-based chain, they're gonna launch those spicy drinks they're speculating within the next couple of months. There's no official launch date, but they do have the website up and running where they are gonna have, it looks like spiked iced coffees in four different flavors. They'll have original, caramel, mocha, and vanilla, while teas are also available in slightly sweet, half and half, and strawberry dragon, dragon fruit, and mango pineapple flavors. 
The coffees will have a little bit more booze with a 6% alcohol content by volume, while teas will have an ABV of 5%. And they also go on to say, while Dunkin' Spite offers eight flavors, only five have received a label approval, original and vanilla iced coffee and slightly sweet, strawberry dragon flu, my pineapple. Now, interestingly enough, looks like they'll be coming in cans. And since it's so early, we don't know the prices yet. And, you know, they go on to say, you know, this is, one of the, this is according to the New York Post. You know, they're, they're the largest coffee company. They have over 10,000 locations in the U.S. And they're speculating this, these offerings will be coming next August 2024. Now, all this being said... It seems like a bizarre concept because to me, my three cents used to be two cents, but 40 year hyperinflation. But to me, the whole concept of Dunkin' Donuts is fast, cheap coffee, even faster than McDonald's, some might say. But you don't necessarily go there to get a buzz. I, I don't know if they're speculating they're going to sell these. I mean, they're mostly known as a drive through, so it'd be a little bizarre to sell alcohol through a drive through, culturally speaking. I know depending on what state you live in and you know what your local municipalities allow, you can do that if it's a closed container. But maybe they're going to sell these at liquor stores? And that is a, certainly a business model where you have many big brands from TGI Fridays to Black Rifle Coffee, where they have their own stores, but they also actually put them in grocery stores and Walmarts and Targets, what have you. But in this regard, it's a very interesting idea. Oddly enough, a coffee idea that Starbucks didn't beat them to, I don't, I think, which says something in and of itself, perhaps, but where do we see this being positioned in the market? Like, you're not going to go and get this in the morning while you're getting your coffee, I wouldn't think. It's much more of a leisure, I guess, if you're not a holic, you might, unfortunately, not for decision, but I, I don't see this, I don't really understand where they see this falling. Maybe the weekend you can relax with, Dunkin' Donuts spiked iced tea, and perhaps they'll sell this at liquor stores. And but also you have to take this into account. If they want to sell these at their own stores, they need additional liquor licenses. When it comes to the transportation and sale of controlled substances, whether it be alcohol, tobacco, or firearms, there are huge regulations. That's why, for, for example, if you go to a UPS store, you can't ship tobacco. Not because it's a law; it's because the stores are usually are their individual franchise locations. And they don't have the proper paperwork because they don't want to pay for the license to have that ability. Same thing with shipping ammo or butane, little lighter fluids. And same thing with alcohol. They can receive them at the stores because they're not selling a service. I think that's the idea behind it. But that means if they want to sell these at all the Dunkin' stores, and they have a lot of them, they need a liquor license. Depending on the culture of the municipalities where you are and the laws and the politicians, that can be very easy or near impossible. There are some places that they actually limit the liquor license by just a total number, regardless of the quality of the stores around them. It's just, we're, we're going to only have 10 bars or 10 liquor serving establishments in this county, what have you. So given that, that's a pretty big bar to climb. I don't think they would want to sell it in the stores. So perhaps this will just be extra revenue by selling this through, you know, the Kroger's and all the grocery stores. But a very bizarre idea. Let me know, would you ever buy spiked Iced tea mix pack from Dunkin' Donuts, which in terms of marketing, they get an F minus for changing their name from Dunkin' Donuts to just Dunkin'. It almost makes me sound lazy. So you, you can't say your whole name. I mean, that's as ridiculous as someone going by Nick Topping just being called Topping. Like, who would do that? Oh, oh, I digress. Now, 
Going over to the culture part of the podcast, you have Bud Light tweeting again and crashing and burning yet again. It's almost like a bad TV show. You almost can't look away. Now, this specific one was called Bud Light Dust Off Boots. And it was a tweet. And, of course, it was uh, quite dusty with, of course, a couple fake replies. Now, this was, and all these numbers for the statistics on, you know, the views, the likes, the ratios, were all taken within four days of the original tweet. And it looks like it was the first week where Bud Light showed a poster of a guys in a band saying a backyard tour, you know, enter to win tickets. So there was a lot of incentive for people to post saying, yeah, I want free crap or free tickets for this band I've never heard of. And the original post did get 114,000 likes and only 169, or sorry, got 114,000 views and only got 169 likes. Now, math, again, test scores in the United States at an all-time low. We'll do a little bit together today and learn. That's 0.15% liked. Yeah, that's not so great. Now, I did some looking, and there were a couple of positive responses, but again, they, I feel like they're not authentic. Now, these people, some of them are real, some are bots, but the first positive response was someone called Danielle Wade, and she said she tried to enter but got an error, which does not make them look good at Bud Light. They can neither do beer nor simple sweepstakes or website development, apparently. Now, I looked at her profile. She's not like a Bud Light enthusiast. She just enters every single free promo there is on the planet, which again also begs the question, why do companies keep doing those types of promos when it doesn't seem to increase the brand loyalty if this person just goes all around the whole planet looking for freebies? Now, the more interesting responses came from the people who are critical. And of course, you know, Bud Light to get ratioed in minutes, though the statistics were all taken days later. Now, the most positive response to this Bud Light, hey, here's a backyard band, to, uh, backyard band tour. Come see us or enter to get the free tickets. The top response was the Simpsons meme where someone actually changed the writing. So it was a Simpsons meme where you have Bart and then you have below him Homer talking to Bart. The original quote is Bart with the Bud Light logo on his face. And he says, I've lost, a, I've lost $395 million in, in US sales. And below him, Homer goes, You've lost 395 million in sales in the U.S. thus far, unquote. Hilarious, brilliant, and quite comical to say the least. Now, that particular tweet got 5,070 views and 455 likes. A little bit of math, drumroll please. That gives us a count ratio of 8.97% light, which is astronomically better than 0.15. The Bud Light business blunder continues to be entertaining and appears to see that they, they, they can't learn. Now, another top tweet responding to that was a response in which they changed the back. There was the original, they had the picture of the band where it says, you know, the backyard tour. And they did a Photoshop and they put Dylan Mulvaney in the middle and they said they changed it to backdoor tour. A simple yet amusing pun, which I can truly appreciate because that's pretty hilarious. Now, that particular response got 4,301 views and 247 likes. Still more likes than the original post with a fraction of the viewership. That got 5.74% liked. Now, the last top review that I thought was quite amusing, or tweet that was, was quite amusing, although now they relabeled the site from Twitter to x.com or x, as well as instead of tweets, it's just post, and now this, this isn't a tweet, it's an x. Perhaps a good pun for x marks the spot for this good comment. Now, this one comes from an individual by the name of Jared Wilkins9, and he said, quote, found a new straggler in the basement fridge, unquote. And it was a video of him with his two Bud Light bottles in the dirt. And he threw a rock on him and they exploded. 
Now that got 6,288 views and 449 likes. Giving them a good old ratio of 7.14% liked. Yeah, they're not doing so good. And of course, when you click the button that says, you know, what are the ones you're hiding, Bud Light? Those are infinitely more amusing. Most of them will get you banned off YouTube, but needless to say, your uh, main pictures with Alyssa Heiderschild standing over the grave because she killed the brand, basically. And there are a couple with Dylan, of course, with all the amusing poses. But it's interesting to see the culture war or the cultural phenomenon of the pushback against Bud Light. A lot of people speculated, okay, they're starting Bud Light. Their tactic is massive volume of tweets, similar to the production of beer. Quality? No, massive volume. And yet, it's been a couple months. The, the people are still not backing down. They're not accepting... Well, I guess they didn't apologize, so there's nothing to accept in terms of accepting an apology. But it's fascinating to see people really are not moving on from this topic. And it's a very fascinating thing is we haven't seen this really before in business for conservatives or people in the middle pushing back against a company. How long will they be able to keep it up? That's what I'm fascinated to see. Time shall tell. Other interesting culture news, you have Best Buy banning Christian rights and more discrimination is revealed. Now, this is thanks again to a whistleblower who came to James O'Keefe, who is the or James O'Keefe, who is the founder of OMG Media, previous founder of Project Veritas, breaks some of the largest stories out there. And we're just going to play a couple minutes of it, but again, it looks like Best Buy continues to be morally vacuous beyond all belief. So we're going to play a couple minutes of it here. I'm James O'Keefe with OMG standing outside Best Buy this week on August 8th. O'Keefe Media Group OMG released a story featuring a whistleblower from inside Best Buy that released screenshots of a training program, a management training program with McKinsey and Company where it explicitly excludes white applicants. The pro it says in order to qualify, you must be black, Latino, Hispanic, Asian, or Pacific Islander. If you do not identify as those, you do not qualify for this manage management training program. Which, of course, is disgusting, morally vacuous, because, again, our country is founded on the fact that all men are created equal. Programs, racial requirements have led to an accusations of racial discrimination, a firestorm online. The CEO of Best Buy, Corey Berry, has now made her Twitter account private. She also slept with someone under her, not physically, I don't know what goes on in her bedroom, but she actually slept with someone, a VP of Best Buy, when she was a CEO. Now, if a man were to do that, he'd be fired in 12 tenths of a second because the board directors would quickly click up their phones. They, the whole society would be in a rage. They'd say he was abusing his power, is manipulating, is evil. But she, of course, she got off scotch-free. Now, and that was her sleeping with the VP. A second whistleblower has come forward exclusively to OMG with audio recordings of his manager, Mike Hirsch, at a Best Buy in Jacksonville, Florida, stating that LGBTQ flags were appropriate in the Geek Squad office, but Christian crosses were not. This has led to further allegations of religious discrimination. If we're doing all that gay pride uh, flags and all that transgender stuff, like, why don't we have Christian stuff all over? They're not the same. How is that not the same? You can 1,000% choose religion. So, not a listen, that's almost, that's a, that's a, listen. Cult, that's a cultural... Yeah, but <laughs> me as a cultural entity, having beliefs that I have, so why can't I put my stuff all over the because wall? you are choosing to, cho to believe in Christianity or Muslim or okay. whatever. You choose well, that. Someone is choosing to be gay they or lesbian. Be gay. Hey, they're choosing that. 
Enes Sujak, a Serbian immigrant and Best Buy employee in Jacksonville, Florida, recorded the conversation with his manager, Mike Hirsch. I spoke with Enes about his situation. He's decided to go public. Very brave, very courageous individual. Here's some of that interaction. That is our manager. His name is uh, Mike Hirsch. Um, he, he and I had a very long conversation. It was like an hour and 30 minutes of he and I just going back and forth with him. Uh, Aren't you just saying something? Because most employees, unfortunately, just acquiesce to corporate culture where they'll just 100% buy that, but they won't stick up for their own rights or individual freedoms or beliefs. So this guy's pretty unique in and of itself because he actually said, well, what about my culture? What about my religion? Uh, telling me that uh, it was work appropriate to have all this uh, LGBTQ stuff that's uh, going on in the office and everywhere else. But it's not okay for me to, you know, be a Christian myself and have a... So in their office, they have a... It's almost like a pride parade threw up on everything. Every wall in the Geek Squad has the tra uh, the traditional gay pride flag, the rainbow, which ironically used to be a Christian symbol that Christians gave up on. Because that's what that was a sign that God said, I'll, you know, after the flood, we're not going to do that. I'm not going to do that again as a sign. But that's actually cultural appropriation how's that not a big story but i digress so the whole office has both the traditional gay pride flag as well as the new one um the what flag is that one their marketing is not the marketing is not the best because it changes so often and marketing you want the key is to have you know consistency that's consistency is key with marketing i believe that is now the pri uh trans pride flag a bible uh right over there that's a right there at the office or have a cross or a Quran or anything like that. that that's not work appropriate, but you know, having that LGBTQ pride flag everywhere else, uh, that is work appropriate. And I wasn't standing for that. Are you calling the police? I am actually. You're calling, you're calling the police. So this is James O'Keefe trying to interview one of the Geek Squad employees. Taking issue with the materials he saw on the walls, the LGBTQ materials in the morning meetings, he objected to it and walked out as they required his attendance at these morning meetings. Uh, are these meetings about how to sell a new crappy washing machine or a new mediocre TV that people don't need? Call me crazy, but that's what Best Buy is supposed to be doing. They're supposed to be selling mediocre electronics for high markup and giving piss poor customer service. That's the foundation of their business. But their, what does that topic have anything to do with their core business? Her name is Athena. She's also the uh, well-being person uh, at Best Buy as well. And she took offense. Although not his well-being. That, that's not important. Not his well-being, apparently. To uh, how I handled the whole situation of just kind of walking out as she was trying to teach us about the LGBTQ history. Um, so she ended up putting more pride flags because of me walking out. Just for spite, which, ironically, I can't help but see that theme more and more with certain flags. Like, this is coming from Best Buy. Um, last week, is revealed a store in Texas, a Best Buy store in Texas. Inside the store, they had they them um, some pronoun flags and pride flags. They didn't have an American flag or a Texas flag, which kind of shows their priorities. And and you walked out of there. How did that go? You were Athena was was teaching about the history and you just walked out? Did you say anything? No, not at all. I, I didn't say anything. I kept it very respectful. That, that's how I do things in life. I, I keep it very nice and professional. 
Um, I just, me and my partner, we ended up walking out. We went to our truck and we took care of our clients. Um, and uh, apparently- Man, that's a crazy idea. Taking care of the clients? What, what do they have to do with it, running a business? I'm sure that's what the CEO, I'm surprised the CEO didn't give them that very speech. She took offense to me not just sitting there and listening to all that garbage. Now, Ennis Sujak works for Geek Squad, which is owned by Best Buy, and it's within the Geek Squad office where Ennis witnessed LGBTQ paraphernalia, pride materials. Mike Hirsch, head of warehouse manager of Geek Squad, had a conversation with Ennis Sujak, and, well, Sujak decided to take out his phone and record the conversation. Privileges. Where is that happening? Much freedoms and rights around here. They, they get special privileges. They get a whole month to themselves, bro. There are, there are people like you and even worse than you that are so anti that. I'm not anti. I just don't care about how you live your life. Don't preach that sh to me. That's that's all I am. Mike Hirsch, we cannot get in. Which, culturally speaking, is kind of the pinnacle or the crux or the fork in the road of why this all happened. By default, most conservatives are conservative. They're not going to go out and tell you their opinion. They're respectful. They'll listen to yours. But a lot of them just acquiesced and just they would go to all these meetings. But I think a lot of them are just saying enough is enough. Well, if we can't profess our religious, our beliefs, why do we need to take, if we are, we're at a company that's supposed to sell, again, crappy washing machines, TVs, what does this have to do with the, with the job? In touch with him, he has some type of Google uh, system that prevents us from getting his comment, but we've reached out multiple times for Mike Hirsch. We'll also be reaching out to the CEO and the other managers within Best Buy. I'm James O'Keefe with OMG News, and we'll continue to follow this important story. We've had a number of whistleblowers reach out to us in the last 24 hours as a result of this initial screenshot from within Best Buy, not just Best Buy, other organizations and corporations requiring their employees to participate in various political programs that seem outside the scope of their corporate charter. Stay tuned. And NS, a very brave and courageous individual, very inspiring. Uh, we'll be airing the raw portion of my interview with him tomorrow. Stay tuned. Yep. And I highly recommend taking a look at the whole interview. It's quite fascinating. And I think many people here will enjoy it. Now, culturally speaking, it'll be interesting to see. We talked about last week where you had hiring practices in which they actually have companies saying in their job description whether they want someone who is quote unquote not woke. And now you have companies like Best Buy where we're coming to the service. They're very pro-trans, very pro the social issues or uh, social philosophies, whatever you want to call them. Do you think they're going to start actually being more transparent during the hiring process to decrease the amount of employees who don't agree with that? Because having this employee in this situation, it doesn't seem like anyone's happy. Best Buy is embarrassed because it's turned out they're kind of showing how racist they are. But this employee is not happy because he's having to spend time learning about their culture and not learning about the latest warranty on an LG fridge, which would I would say be a thousand times more important for their daily job. So it'll be fascinating to see how much hiring practices change and do people start to boycott Best Buy as it seems perhaps finally the last group of people you're allowed to make fun of in the United States, you know, craftics and conservatives, they're finally starting to speak up. Will companies acquiesce and start treating them with a modicum of respect? It'll be interesting to see, but time shall tell. Now, other interesting culture news, you have Target investors suing the company for their Pride Month business blunder. Now, it seems like there finally might be a price to pay. 
Now, why do you back the clock back a couple months? You had Target, they actually hired a Satanist. Now, I don't mean that metaphorically or being bombastic. This is quite literally someone who profoundly professed they were a Satanist, a designer from the UK, and he looked like one as well in terms of his look. Now, he actually produced pins that you can buy at Target stores with a picture of Satan, and it was a pin that says, Satan respects pronouns. They also had a bunch of pride stuff for kids, which again, was a deviation from other years where they had a traditional a pride section for adults. But then this year they had the kids stuff, and they also had the tuck-friendly swimsuit, which is a swimsuit that was made for women, but now they want to sell it towards uh, trans women or men, I forget, trans women or trans men, where they actually have space in the swimsuit to tuck your junk. A fascinating fashion idea, some might say. Um, but yeah, that caused a lot of backlash. They actually moved the displays to the back of the store because people spoke up and they said, well, this seems highly inappropriate to have all this, especially in the child's eye view where the kids can see it as well. Why, are you, why is Target targeting kids? So that led to a huge backlash and the stock precipitously dropped billions of dollars. Now, overall, if you look at the historicals for Target for the year, they've also dropping as well, partially because they have a company culture of not stopping thieves and it's estimated they're gonna lose about 400 million. Yes, $400 million because of theft this year. Other stores have that same issue as well, a big cultural issue in the United States that someday should be addressed for a myriad of reasons. Now, because Target made the business decision to buy those products, to stock them in the store and support those causes, well, now the shareholders are saying, well, it seems like you're more of an activism, you're just, you're just an activism company. You're not putting, our needs first, which is something that people have been, sh they should have been suing these companies for probably a decade. When you think about all the companies that are making decisions based on social issues and not the shareholders who, the shareholders are investing in the business to make a profit. That's the whole point of being publicly traded. Now, now specifically this lawsuit was filed last Tuesday by American First Legal and co-counseled by Bowdoin Gray uh, PLLC and Lawson Hawk Gonzalez PLLC on behalf of investor Brian Craig in Florida. And he is alleging that target cost shareholders, sorry, that uh, target cost shareholders lost billions of dollars because of his LGBT, ESG, and DEI policies specifically. Now, the lawsuit accuses Target and the board directors of betraying, quote, both Target's core customer base of working families and its investors by making false and misleading statements concerning Target's environmental, social, and government governance and diversity, equity, and inclusion mandates that led to the disastrous 2023 child and family themed LGBT uh, pride campaign, unquote. Now, it'll be interesting to see in terms of individual fiscal damage, this will not have any effect on Target. Fiscally speaking, he owns about 200 shares of Target stock. So even if they just bought them out at the current market rate, their shares are going for about $130. So again, that's not a lot of money in the grand scheme of things for this individual case, but if he's able to actually prove it and they sell in court for that guy, all of a sudden, every other shareholder is gonna go, wait a minute, I'm entitled to that as well because you screwed me over too with this campaign. Now, it looks like in terms of specifics, Target lost about $14 billion following their June Pride campaign with those interesting displays that they chose. So it'll be interesting to see, as quite a pretty penny, what is Target gonna do? They're in a pickle here because 
if they do admit they made a mistake and they sell for this, they're just going to cause a domino effect with much, much other people coming from every neck of the woods to sue Target as well. Will this culturally cause other companies to focus on the business they run versus social issues, such as maybe Best Buy focusing on electronics and not, not um, quite literally inducing racism against white folks because they're saying, oh yes, um, our managerial program, that's only for white people at Best Buy. We're seeing more and more of these come to the surface. And of course, thankfully, light is also is often the best disinfectant. With these businesses starting to realize, well, we can't really operate in the dark so much. People are starting to complain that we're betraying the shareholders. Will this stop other businesses from deviating from their core competencies and taking on social issues that have nothing to do with the business? That'll be fascinating to see. And culturally speaking, conservatives are finally starting to speak up. And again, lawsuits matter in terms of this gets the board director's attention. Because this is not good for Target, not good for them optically wise. Because it's going to be in the news. A lot of people are seeing it. You're pissing off a lot of people. And fiscally, it might cost them billions as well. So let me know in the comments, do you think companies will switch their tactics around marketing, around corporate structures, or will they keep going down the same road? It's with this unprecedented, tipsy-turny, unknowing economy, they're getting more fiscally concerned. They may start. Be, they might start actually to become more conservative, both fiscally as well as with these campaigns, because these campaigns are losing them money. Unless the shareholders or the people who control it care more about messaging and politics than actual fiscal results. We will see, but I always say, time will surely tell. Now, another fascinating culture news, you have Elon Musk versus Mark Zuckerberg. The fight continues to develop. Now, the two tech giants have been going back, back and forth for months saying they want to fight each other, trying to figure out what would be the best you know, domain in terms of where they want to host it. And Elon recently tweeted a couple days ago saying, quote, the fight, the, sorry, the fight will be managed by my and Zuck's foundations, not UFC. Livestream will be on this platform and meta. Everything in camera frame will be ancient Rome, so nothing modern at all. I spoke to the Prime Minister of Italy and the Minister of Culture. They have agreed on the epic location, unquote. Now, Elon went on to say, quote, Everything done will pay respect to the past and present Italy. All proceeds will go to veterans and pediatric hospitals in Italy. Now, this is also one of those things where Elon Musk is 51 years old. Mark Zuckerberg is 39 years old. I believe Zuckerberg is now a blue belt in terms of his martial arts proficiencies. Um, Elon is training with some of the best from uh, come my jujitsu, um, my friends who do jujitsu, what they were telling me. But that's a big age gap. And again, Zuckerberg's been winning competitions. So unless, now granted, that being said, Elon Musk may have a neural link implanted in his head already. So it could very well be like the Matrix where he just downloads all the moves that he needs to know. That might be a thing we don't know about yet. What is going to win, the alien or the, or the lizard, the conspiracy folks will ask. That'll be interesting to see, but it certainly is good for bringing up media attention because everyone is talking about it. But it'll be interesting. Does it, let me know in the comments. Do you think it will really happen? Or are they just talking for the sake of talk, just trying to get more fame and fortune? Well, they already have unprecedented amounts of both. But... It'll be interesting. Where do, does, does the fight really happen or not? We shall see. Other interesting culture news. You have a Bud Light tweet. Crack up on a Friday. And it just kind of it fizzled out like Bud Light beer itself. Now, Elon, or sorry, um, Bud Light specifically tweeted, quote, Cracking open our Friday beers a day early, unquote. And this was last Thursday. Now, the original tweet got, or X, whatever you want to call it now, 
that got 139,000 views and 449 likes. Now, keep in mind, all these statistics were taken within, I believe, three days. So all the numbers are equal. So good old little math that shows us that 139,000 people saw the tweet, 449 liked it. That got a 0.32% like ratio, which is, of course, piss poor to say the least. Now, one user said, quote, I heard Megan Rapinoe is trying to sue Bud Light for the biggest loser of the year, unquote. That reply got 6,068 views and 183 likes, giving them a good old ratio of 3.02%, which is infinitely more than 0.32. Now, another user replied to the original post saying, use me as a dislike button. That got 6,232 views and 295 likes. That gives you a good old right like ratio of 4.73%. And of course, the, one of my favorite responses to any Bud Light tweet is someone asking, what would you drink? And this person by the name of Rich Mooney has been doing it pretty consistently. He's asking, he did a poll. He said, what would you really have? A make mine a Bud Light or no Anheuser Bush InBev product? Of the 780 people who voted in his poll, 93.8% said no Anheuser Busch InBev product for me, while the inverse 6.2% said make mine a Bud Light. Which is interesting. For the past couple of weeks, it's been, you know, three to four, five percent at most of saying make mine a Bud Light. Is the target audience shifting or the audience of Twitter shifting or X.com shifting? Or are people who are boycotting the brand starting to acquiesce? Are they starting to leave the Twitter sphere? It'd be interesting to see to get that data behind it to see what's the demographics and what's the breakdown of that. But perhaps there's a shift, maybe. I don't. Th I'm a little pessimistic to think that. I don't, I don't really think that. But we'll see how much the next tweet from them gets ratioed immediately, or not. Time shall tell. Now, other interesting culture news. You have a Budweiser tweet saying to appreciate the farmers, and it was ratioed in minutes because, of course. No one believes them. They're authentic as a politician these days, which whatever politician, that's pretty, uh, that, that's, a, that's an insult, you see, because politicians, you really can't trust them. Left, right, center, around. Most of them are, most of them I wouldn't trust as far as I could throw them. And although I'm in, you know, pretty good physical shape, the average politician is, you know, morbidly obese, out of shape, and uh, quite a heavy, dense object. Mentally dense as well, pun moderately intended. Now, Anderson Bush, they actually tweeted a picture of farmers saying, quote, Last week, we headed to Idaho and Montana to celebrate the hard work of our growers. S proud to stand tall with American farmers for generations. Unquote. And all the statistics for the views and likes were taken within three days. Now, the tweet only got, and I say only because Bud Light tweets get a lot more as a separate profile. This tweet got 26,000 views and 163 likes. 0.62% of people who saw it liked it which I can't help but think it's all 163 employees that are left at Anderson Bush Bud Light. I'm kidding, we have a little more than that for now. Now, the top response was from a Ryan Tree Fitty, spelled T-R-E-E-F-I-D-D-Y-V-E, Tree Fitty. I can't help but wonder if he's in the, perhaps he owns a tree farm or he grows trees for a living as well, perhaps. Now, his response was, quote, 96% of Idaho and Montana populations don't want you here, unquote. Now, that response got 1,096 views and 73 likes. Now, 73 likes might not sound a lot. It's actually just a little bit less than half of what Alex uh, Bush got, but that's a 6.66% like ratio, which is pretty damn good. 
So originally, the people who liked Bud, uh, the Bud Anheuser-Busch tweet, 0.62% liked. The response got 6.66% liked. Now, it's also a pretty damn accurate tweet. Now, as this has become a political issue with most people on the right, politically speaking, disagreeing with Bud Light's idea of hiring a uh, trans activist as their spokesperson or a spokesman whose average audience is in their teens, they didn't really think that was a prudent business decision or appropriate. Um, and you have people on the left who think it's a great idea, apparently. Well, not all left. And then you have some middle that are like, why are you trying to make beer political? This is annoying as hell. Now, politically speaking, look at Montana. They're pretty darn red. It's one of the reddest states in the union. Red being they vote Republican. So, politically speaking, that's accurate. They don't want them there. And interestingly enough, a couple of the other responses are kind of saying, well, yeah, it's probably because the, you know, the 6% of people who do want you there, they're all the farmers that are actually making the hops for you, perhaps. Now, one of the top responses was from Vocal, V-O-K-L, who said, no one wants your, quote, they, them, unquote. Now, this got 814 views and 38 likes, which again, 38 isn't great, although it does rhyme, so it sounds cool. That's 4.67% liked it. Now, of course, there are a couple more. One of the most amusing ones was a picture of a Bud Light beer in a cliche ballpark cup that said Bud Light on it, filled with beer and it had a hot dog with a mill drawn out. And it said, you know, official straw of Bud Light. And that got 174 views and 14 likes, which is an 8.04% like ratio. Now, culturally speaking, interestingly enough, Anheuser Bush only has 64,000 people following the company profile, which also goes to show you the amount of interest about a company is usually precipitously less for a holding company or a parent company. Bud Light, on the converse, has hundreds of thousands of people who follow the page. And that's where we're seeing most of the pushback. This barely got media's attention at all because the, the volume of people following Anheuser Bush online. It's pretty small. And some people who aren't, you know, maybe visit, uh, you know, not, they're really not into business or they just, many people don't realize what brands own each other. Very few people, people know Answer Bush and Bev actually owns Michelob Ultra. Yet alone Shock Top. Oh, wait, they have to sell Shock Top and eight other brands because of their business blunder. So instead of having 52 brands, they're uh, precipitously dropping more and more as they continue to struggle with the Bud Light boycott. Will it be able to slow down and reverse the trend? I, I'm highly skeptical, but I always say, Time shall tell. Now, going over to the political part of the podcast, you have Illinois Supreme Court upholding the ban on AR-15 rifles. The most popular rifle in the United States with over 50% of every rifle being of the AR-15 pattern, which is ironically invented in California by ArmorLite Company. It's called ArmorLite Rifle AR-15. And it's the most popular rifle but Illinois wants to ban it. Now, this is according to Reuters. It is a recent article that came up. And Illinois, again, one of the most totally not corrupt, morally vacuous. The city of Chicago is a great place to live and start a business out here. That was a joke, you see, because it's been politically one-sided for about 95 years now. And crime rates, poverty rates there, um, yeah, it's uh, about the same. But yeah, people there like it, apparently. Now, it looks like the Illinois Supreme Court specifically upheld a Democrat-backed uh, ban on assault-style rifles and large-capacity magazines after a deadly shooting in Chicago's Highland Park suburb in 2022 that left seven dead and dozens wounded. Now, do they care about the regular inner-city shootings that happen every day, which statistically are the most dangerous in the United States? No, they don't care about that, but 
you know, this they care about. They'll manipulate and they'll use it for their political gains because they are morally vacuous, in my opinion. Now, it looks like the state's high court breakdown was four to three, and they rejected arguments by groups of plaintiffs led by Republican State Representative Dan Calkins that the ban violated the Illinois Constitution by not applying the law equally to citizens. Now, it looks like Illinois' governor, which, of course, they're never corrupt or ousted. They're always, always high standards up there. Their governor, J.B. Prisker, in a statement calling the ruling, quote, a win for advocates, survivors, and families alike because it preserves the nation's leading legislation on combating gun violence to save countless lives, unquote. Even though every study done about the topic has shown it has no effect on mass shootings, no effect on these crimes. Statistically speaking, rifles are, they don't, statistically speaking, according to the FBI databases, rifles account for very, very, very little actual killings in the United States. It's a fraction, even more, more people every year are killed by blunt objects, according to the FBI. Literally, baseball bats are more deadly. But, politically speaking, black rifle's scary, so they use that to manipulate the voter base. Now, it looks like in January, he signed into law a measure ironically called Protect Illinois Communities Act, which, again, they've, they've been in charge for 100 years. You can't protect your communities, but this extra law will. They've had this law before. Unfortunately, I know people who have grown up in the Soviet Union, known as Illinois, and in Cook County, which encapsulates Chicago, they've had similar bans throughout the years, no effect at all. But back to the specifics, the specific uh, recent ban goes against what they call high-powered, which ironically the 223 round is not high-powered. A hunting rifle with a bolt action, that has more power. But I digress for a minute or a second. They say... Bans the sale and distribution of many high-powered semi-automatic assault rifles, including AK-47s and AR-15 rifles, and large-capacity magazines. I use quotes so much with that statement, it almost hurt my fingers. Because again, high-capacity is not high-capacity, it's standard-capacity. The rifle is invented with a 30-round magazine for both the AK-47 as well as the subsequent AR-15 pattern rifle. Ridiculous? Yes. And of course, they say it's going to protect citizens... But we all know, yeah, it's, it's not really going to do any of that at all. Because, again, the crime rates, the death rates, Chicago has not changed for pretty much ever. Now, I'll be interested to see, as they bring this up, I believe they also say there are exceptions, of course, for the government. So, of course, the police and the government, they do not have to give up their rifles. And... Federally speaking, many are confident this is going to get struck down because, again, the government's consistent, or the, the Supreme Court has ruled in the past, you can't ban a firearm in common use. Now, the key word common use there, what's the most common rifle in the United States? It's the AR-15, partially because the patent has long expired, so any manufacturer can make it if they have a, a proper FF, uh, FFL manufacturer license, federal firearm license, manufacturer license. You can create it and sell it for a profit through the proper channels distributions. And you don't have to pay a fee or a royalty for the design of it because it's in public domain. Anyone can make it. Now, let me know in the comments. Do you think Illinois will become safer because of this arbitrary law? Which they've tried before. It's almost like the definition of insanity. They try and try again the same thing. But unfortunately, politically speaking, it's a smart move on their part in the chessboard because the people who vote for them want this. Is it morally vacuous and disgusting that it disarms thousands of law-abiding citizens and struggling families who want to protect themselves, while at the same time the 
politicians, they get unlimited arms to protect themselves. Yes, it, it, you're, yeah, that is exactly, exactly correct. It's disgusting. So we'll see. You have more and more states trying to rack up these laws, but many are speculating that lawsuits are out there, and this will, of course, play out with courts. You're going to have some people it'll go back and forth. They'll eventually someday make it to the Supreme Court, and the speculation there is that they'll shoot these things down, and hopefully they'll even get rid of the NFA or the National Firearms Act, which was passed you know, darn near 100 years ago, and that really does step all over the Bill of Rights, but that's just, that's just my three cents. It used to be two cents, but unfortunately... We have 40-year hyperinflation. It's got to charge three cents. Although, this show is free. If you do click that subscribe button, it does help us out a lot. Again, try to get to 3,000 subscribers by the end of August. I'd greatly appreciate it. And the more we grow together, the better the show we'll get. Other interesting political news, you have Republicans voting yes for Biden's gun ban. Which, again, goes to show you, don't blindly trust any politician, left, right, center, whatever they are, just because they have a letter by their name. Nowadays, that means nothing. And I can't help but notice, interestingly enough, you never have a Democrat in in actual in a government who is secretly Republican. But you have a lot of Republicans in office who are secretly Democrats. And this is a great prime example of that. So just if you're pro-gun, if you believe in the Bill of Rights and your freedom to defend yourself and your family, don't vote for someone just because it has an R next to their name. That means nothing. You need to look at their track record, see what their ratings are, see what their policies are, what their historicals are for voting on these types of initiatives. Now, specifically, you had 14 turncoats, I mean Republicans, in the House and 15 Republicans in the Senate vote with Democrats in order to pass the Bipartisan Safer Communities Act, unquote. Now, again, the nicer a bill sounds, the more BS it usually is. And again, for left, right, every politician, it seems it's the same. I can't help but reminisce and think of the Patriot Act, which, again, was the most unpatriotic thing in history, where it pretty much stripped away every semblance of privacy you and I ever had. But I digress back to the current issue here. And of course, you have the human turtle known as Mitch McConnell, who again, he's done a couple of good things throughout the years, but stuff like this really is just disgusting and morally vacuous, in my opinion. Mitch McConnell said he is, quote, proud to support, unquote, this. Which, this is exactly the definition of a Trojan horse, or perhaps the no longer just theory of the slippery slope. It's more like the slippery slope rule. Because again, you give him an itch, you get a mile, they take a mile. Another great metaphor, which unfortunately is all too accurate to these types of situations. So the bill, again, the road to hell is played with good intentions. Though I would also argue many of these politicians, they don't have good intentions. They want chaos to, gain, to garner and gain votes. But this specific bill, and again, the devil is in the details, or in the government, depending on your beliefs, but it changed the definition, importantly, of a firearm dealer to include not only people who sell guns as a primary mode of income, but also anyone who earns a profit selling a firearm. Let, let me reiterate that. It changed it so that if your primary mode of income is selling guns, you, at the current, the previous definition, they would say, okay, you're a dealer, you need a proper federal firearms license, also known as an FFL, so that once you have that, you have to do the background check, extra paperwork, sales tax, all have you. Now it's anyone who sells a gun for a profit. And again, pretty much all, again, this is not financial advice, but most guns appreciate in value if you take care of them, especially if they have historical provenance or they're an antique or a uncommon variant, but many of them appreciate in value. So think about this. If you want to sell your little sister or if you want to sell your son, your grandfather's bolt action rifle, well, 
you're gonna, that means you're making a profit, which means legally speaking with the new law, you must file the paperwork, become an FFL. If you use your home address, that means you're open up to fund inspections at all hours of the day. Again, you have to get that paperwork, become a federal firearms license. So to get the FFL, not only that, if you want to sell it to your son or your little sister or your mother-in-law, your mom, you have to do a whole 4473 paperwork, which again, if you're not into guns, it's kind of like a job application to buy a gun where you fill out all of your information. You swear you're not a criminal. It's a federal document, which of course, if you and I, if we lie in that document, that's 15 years in prison. However, if you're Hunter Biden, you lie in that document, you basically get all scot-free. There's some speculation he'll pay a price, but given this current government and how they're politically uh, manipulating everything, I don't think I'll spend an afternoon behind bars. So again, at 40, 30, 73, you have to have your mom fill that out or your daughter or, or your son fill that out. Also, they have to go through an additional, they have to go through a background check. Now, this is, again, one of those things similar to the V-8. The government isn't technically banning the V-8, but they're increasing the tailpipe emissions for fleets. So if you don't hit that number, you can't sell cars. So it's a de facto ban. Same thing here. Legally speaking, they cannot get a universal gun registration. That would be a phenomenon where the government knows everything, every single um, every single serial number of the firearms that you have. And if you look at historically, Ted Cruz famously said in one of the, one of the few kernels of truth that he's had throughout the years, it's true. There's only two reasons the government wants to know the serial numbers of your firearm, to tax them or to take them. Those are the only two reasons they want that data. Now, it's actually been leaked that the ATF has been illegally doing this for quite some time, which again is illegal. But of course, they still do it anyway because government is above the law and they have zero accountability. But in this case, having this new law in place as it's written, that would be a de facto universal background check and be de facto government knowing everything. And again, I know public schools on average do not teach any history these days or history scores that are all time low because they have social things to preach instead. But that if you read any history book, so dust off the quarter inch of the public school library dust that's precipitously gathered on that book, every corrupt government since the dawn of time, the most evil thing they do, before they do their most evil, most morally vacuous acts, they always take the guns. Look at every evil leader since the dawn of time, they always disarm society. Always. Which is why I'm so adamant, also my family escaped Cuba because we saw the writing on the wall. And of course, yes, they did the same thing. Citizens can't own guns there. You see a lot, a lot of that in these countries. Only the government can have guns. And that is when the most evil, inhumane things in history happen. Needless to say, I'm against this bill, obviously. So interestingly enough, you have states already breaking the constitution and the bill of rights. You have California. They already have universal background checks. Has San Francisco gotten any safer? No, no, it's continues to have one of the highest crime rates in the United States. But of course, just like every other, every other thing, like the same mentally vacuous people who think, oh yeah, communism's never been tried because it, that's why it'll work this time though. Same thing with this same issue. They're, they're gonna say, oh yeah, universal backgrounds don't work in, in California. It's just because we didn't do it right. It di we didn't go far enough. It's a phenomenal a phenomenon that you see in public sector. Well, we just failed because we didn't have enough resources. So you give them more and more and more resources, but the answer every time they fail, it's not because they had a wrong strategy or they were wrong personally. It's always, oh yeah, we just need more resources. But we, we just gave you more, but that's always the cliche. Now, legally speaking, this is still in draft mode. So this is not a law yet, but 
the writing is there. The definition definition being changed. So it's very important. And again, people need to be especially politically active these days, I would say, and really fight for your beliefs, metaphorically speaking. Now, it's one of those things where this is in draft form. It will be open to public comment. And although the ATF, there's really no initiative, they don't really give a damn about what you and I think. They have a good track record of killing people's dogs when they go into your house by protocol. Uh, look up Ruby Ridge and uh, you'll be horrified beyond all belief. But in terms of sending a message to the politicians who count on your vote, that is the real thing that they will see in attention. If the ATF, they open this up for comments and you bombard them with everything you've got, you say, this is disgusting. This is, if you, you need to tell your, your politicians, if you vote for this, if you approve this, we will vote your ass out. Pardon the French. Although I don't think they have very good boudoirs or uh, rears over there. That should really be an American word, but I, I digress. Let them know they will not earn your vote if they go with this. Pay attention to those 15 and, and 14 Republicans. If you voted for, for them before, you need to let them know, no, you're not going to get my vote again. In fact, we're going to primary you. We're going to have someone compete against you. We're going to oust you. We're going to use all of our efforts to get you out of office and get someone else. We're going to elect a better candidate who more accurately represents what we stand for and the Bill of Rights. And I really hope that does happen because, again, most, oh, the greatest horrors of mankind always happen when they take your rights away, especially your right to defend yourself and your family and your community. And for now, I digress. Now, going on to the business blunder of the day, we have the United Auto Workers. We're, they're going up against the big three and the debate is heating up. Also, a slight alteration of my last statement with the UAW from a previous episode. Now, going into the details of that, a couple weeks ago, or rather last week, I noted that United Auto Workers, which is the United is the union for the automotive industry, which is precipitously or mainly used by the big three. When you look at look at the big three, it used to be the pinnacle of automotive technology and people was Chrysler, General Motors, and Ford. The big three all used to be headquartered in Detroit. GM is still headquartered in Detroit. You still have Ford technically headquartered over in, what was the hills? It's actually a suburb, but of course they have operations downtown. I digress, it used to be the pinnacle. Actually, it used to be the most richest, successful cities in the world until they had the cultural demise and business demise. But I digress. During the show, I said the UAW didn't give enough concessions during the 2008 bankruptcies, which they did give some. So that's why I need the qualifications. They did have some concession. Now, when I was speaking with someone, again, this is anecdotal evidence from a, a commentator. They noted that from their experience, they said the cost of living, and this is from them, quote, the cost of living currently, this fight inflation, we know what inflation is looking at with these days. So apparently they gave up a cost of living adjustment. They also claim that pensions, no workers hired after 2007s will have pensions, period. That statement I'm a little confused about because in the latest draft um, between the UAW and the specific automotive group Stellantis, they're talking about altering the pensions. So... Um, I need more clarification. Let me know in the comments, but it sounds like some of them might still have it. And then he said, another comment was three, the UAW allowed workers to be hired at lower wages, which that just sounds like diet communism. They're, we're going to allow you to hire people at lower rates. Why not just hire the best for the business or the best for the market? But no, 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 you must use the union. So I do apologize for, I didn't take those comments into, or I've spoken to absolutes and apparently only the Siths speak in absolutes is what I'm told. I'm a big fan of Star Trek. I'm just kidding. I know it's Lord of the Rings, but I digress. Calm down. I know it's the Wookiees and Star Wars. Now, 
with this recent one, you have Chrysler's parent company, Stellantis, which they bought out most of the companies in Europe and uh, automotive companies. And they actually really went against the demands of the previous offer when they were going back with the UAW. So this is Chrysler, their owner, talking about the UAW. They're basically saying they're unrealistic, which let's dive in and see. What specific points are they saying the unions are unrealistic on? I'll pull this up and I apologize here. So, <laughs> yeah, this is a, you have Chrysler's parent company sharply criticizing, again, some uh, Reuters. And they actually said that UAW needs to quote, a focus on reality from everyone involved. So this is Stellantis North American Chief Operating Officer, Mark Stewart. He said in a letter to their employees that the automaker is quote, committed to working with the UAW to reach an agreement based on economic realism, unquote. Now he is dancing with the devil because if they go on strike, it's kind of like the mob, well, union. No. If they go on strike, their revenue is precipitously dropped, of course, because they're not making as much. And although they're transitioning to EVs and robots, which will subsequently decrease the amount needed from the unions in terms of headcount, they're still very much forced to be dependent on that labor group. Now, it looks like Stewart actually added, saying that, quote, demands could endanger our ability to make decisions in the future that provide job security for our employees. This is a losing proposition for all of us. Now, it is also, unquote, it's important to note that the four-year contract agreements are currently ongoing with Stellantis, which again, owns Chrysler in the United States. Um, also, you know, Dodge and Jeep, all its properties and brands. It's also going on with General Motors and Ford. And they're set to expire September 14th, which sounds far, but when it comes to these contract negotiations, it's going to be here before we know it. I was going to say, probably not a prudent time to buy or sell their stock, although I'm not a financial analyst or I'm not giving financial advice. There's a lot of uncertainty right now. Now, in terms of the specifics, he noted that the UAW is seeking, quote, audacious and ambitious improvements, including pay raises of more than 40% over four years, significant time off, and a restoration of all of defined benefit pensions previously eliminated for newer workers. Now, of course, you have Fain saying, and again, Fain is the leader of the UAW, saying, quote, Stellantis proposals are slap in the face. And he actually threw their offer into the dustbin, all oh, trash bin if you're American. And he, they're European over in Stellantis though. And yeah, 40%, that's a pretty, pretty darn big increase. Now, it looks like the UAW is also saying that the company opposes the end to their two tier wages. And that is a practice of hiring newer, um, practice of newer hires getting paid much less than veteran workers, which Again, merit versus tenure. Imagine having to hire someone and right off the bat pay them 150 an hour. That's ridiculous. And again, going back to my, all my, not editing, but clarification of my previous episode when I talked about UAW, where I noted that figure of one of the reasons they went bankrupt in 2008 with General Motors specifically, they were paying someone $65 an hour to put a tire on a car. And a comment said, well, yes, that includes benefits. So your healthcare, your dental, that's true. But to the business and the shareholders, it's still costing $65 an hour. It doesn't matter if they're paying, you know, $35 for the base salary and the remaining amount for dental or healthcare. At the end of the day, it's still costing a lot of money, especially compared to the competition, which doesn't have that. Now, it looks like two people briefly um, briefed on the matter told Reuters that this week's automakers have estimated the UAW's contract could, demands could raise the current mid $60 per hour rate to more than $150 per hour. Keep in mind, 
that does probably that does include benefits such as dental health care what have you that's again that's not globally compatible anymore there was a time when gm was the best car company in the world they sold the most car cars they, cars in the world they had great pieces of automotive machinery they were making so much money and i've had family in the uaw in gm management where you have you'd hear stories where they were taken care of for life almost like a gang like if you work there for enough years your health care your retirement your pensions you're set for life they could afford that when they had the profits that's not happening anymore now the uaw is saying well they're making a lot of profits these days they should be giving them all to us or sharing a bunch with us mm, well no because that's what we call it short term these businesses, these businesses, because they're being coerced by the government, they have, they're going EV. Electric vehicles are the future for them, regardless of the impact on the environment. Just look up a lithium-ion mining area, and you'll see, oh, dear God, all those chemicals. Wait a minute, this car is only going to last five, ten years? Is it disposable? But I digress. They seem green, and politically, people are winning political points by pushing the agenda. But in order to reinvest in the EV technologies, they have to have a they need these profits not only to actually put up the new facilities to manufacture them but with this economic uncertainty companies are starting to wonder how much money do we need in the bank to venture the dark times when people don't buy stuff as much the only reason ford did not go bankrupt during the 2008 recession because they took out a loan and had cash in the bank right before the economy went to hell so they had i don't know some companies called a war fund or a war chest or a cash reserve but it's one of those issues where the competition has lower prices, better products. How are they going to get to the future? And the UAW is also worried how many jobs are going to be left. Because EVs, by their very nature, they need less work to make it. There's less components, frankly. If you just look at the number of components that go into manufacturing the product. So there be the UAW is feeling the pressure on both fronts. They're going to have less jobs because EVs have less jobs on, in general. And there's going to be less low-skilled jobs as well because there's going to be a lot of software engineering needs. So people need to be retrained, retooled, but there's a lot of uncertainty. And again, the competition, they don't have these issues. Toyota makes the most reliable cars on the planet. A, a Honda, one of the most reliable cars on the planet. My parents still drive a 2001 Honda Accord. It still works because it's an internal combustion engine, has the best technology in terms of reliability at the time. And I would argue to this day, it's got over 100,000 miles still running strong. You don't get that with EVs with the current technology. We might in the future with battery developments, technology very fast moving. But Toyota, no union. Honda, no union. Tesla, no union. They increase the cost of goods sold. I understand the, the inception of the, you know, they always say the good intentions theory. We all know the road to, road to hell is paved with. But there was a time in the United States where unions were needed. And they did accomplish some great things back in the day. But right now, this is the, this is a pivot point in the automotive community and the automotive industry. These companies are struggling to adapt and they're going all in. So if they're wrong, they're going to go bankrupt. And in this, in this move, they're going to need more money than they could ever possibly fathom. You talk to Mary Barra or your list of interviews to the current CEO of General Motors. And I referenced that point because I've, do, I've done more research on that company than the others, just because I used to be an avid fan of what they used to make the good old Camaro and the Corvette having a stick shift and big V8s. But I digress on the reasons. Mary Barra wants the Cadillac brand to be fully electric by 2030. 
just the whole fleet in terms of every GM, which includes Buick, Cadillac, Chevy, GMC, all of them to be EV by 2035. Sounds like a long time wait. It's really not, especially when you have to set up these factories that are huge. If you want to compete with Tesla, that means you need to develop more technology similar to the Gigapress, which is a giant press the size of a couple of Volkswagens that, as it sounds, just presses out massive pieces of the vehicle. It's a huge upfront cost. You also need to pay to train people to use those new technologies. And there's a lot of speculation, how many of these companies are going to make it? So they have profits today, but again, they need to reinvest them, which I think is something that some people don't look at the other side of the aisle sometimes. And this is a concept in many, not just, you know, automotive companies, but relationships, business. You always want to look at all these sides of the equation. So I understand the UAW side, what they're fighting for. I just don't think business-wise, it's going to be competitive right now, especially. The competition is fierce and it's only getting more intense as these businesses continue to transition to new products, new developments. And the big elephant in the room no one is bringing up is China. Their EV technology is really catching up. They will get to the point where they can import into the United States with ease. With the low cost of labor in China, that's going to flood the market and change everything. That's going to be a huge market disruption. It's taking China damn near a decade to catch up in terms of developing their own EV technology made in China with Chinese companies, but they're really starting to catch up. And even Elon is bringing this to the, to the forefront and talking about how that's going to be a future upcoming uh, business threat in terms of looking at the landscape of what competition and what brands are growing and what they're going to be competing against in the future. But in terms of the business blunder, I would say the larger business blunder again is not having the right relationship with your employees where they feel like they were not taken care of properly. When employees feel like they're being taken care of properly, they're part of the team, they're investing in the company. There's no need to have a union in my opinion, or to have a third party that's going to basically act as a divorce attorney where I've, you've heard the horror stories where that divorce attorney, they're not, they're not, they're not going to work to bring the people together or have an amicable ending. They're going to bleed you dry physically and emotionally, I would argue. But I see a lot of parallels with, unions as well. They're driving a wedge between the two parties because that person, that third party, they benefit because of that conflict. And that's where they profit. Also, the UAW benefit donates more to politicians than you could possibly imagine too. So in terms of why I'm more critical of them is instead of giving more money back to the individuals, the, the frontline employees, the guys who are working a wrench on the front line, they're giving it to politicians down the street or in Washington, D.C. Now, granted, you can also more argue the moral vacuousness of having the public sector give each other contracts in which, oh yeah, the teachers union, they just donated more money than possible to presidential nominees and other politicians. But that politician would turn around and just, they just passed a lot of increase their wages by 20, 30, 50%. So that's a little bit of a um, little bit of the darkness that no one really talks about as well when it comes to public sector and all those types of interactions. But again, as these businesses are continuing to struggle in the automotive community and the competition is getting better, cheaper, stronger, to have this huge threat of having a strike, as well as their, the cost of goods, the cost of manufacture, the actual labor costs almost doubling. And I, again, I understand that might include benefits and dental and all that, as well as the hourly wage, but to the shareholders and to the people buying the car, that cost is still in, to the vehicle and increasing the cost of goods sold. And in a world where it's gonna be becoming more and more price conscientious, it'd be interesting to see, but in terms of business blunder, that's certainly has to be the business blunder of the day.
Thank you everyone for taking the time to tune in today. Again, we're trying to get to 3,000 subscribers by the end of August, so you can click that button. I would greatly appreciate it. Also, don't forget to tell your family, tell your friends, tell your coworkers. Heck, tell your enemies, tell anyone and everyone. Just stay safe and fight the good fight.